welcome to another episode of Three Wise DMs, the podcast where three dungeon masters, who've been doing this for <laughs> way too long, talk about all the things we do to try to make our games as good as they can be. I'm Thorne, and I'm joined by... Tony. Papa, don't preach. I've been troubled deep. Papa, don't preach. I've been losing sleep. But I made up my mind, I'm keeping my baby, I'm gonna keep my baby, oh. There we yep. go, Madonna Hi. DM Dave. Has right oh. into D&D. Yeah, little <laughs> on the nose, but yeah, you'll get it. I, I Okay, so, so at this point our, our listeners have got to be wondering, because I never thought we'd be hearing Papa Don't Preach as our theme song for an episode. But today, it makes some sense due to a reader question, and this is quite a quandary. This this is a tough one. I got to say, this is a tough one. So, subject is, PC wants to start with a pregnant character. Coming to us from Joel. Joel, thank you very much for sending in this question today. And the message is that we're starting the Lost Minds of Fandelver for the first time. He's a new DM, a new DM to D&D at least. And the conundrum I have is that one of my PCs wants to start with a two-month pregnant character. Now, I'm someone who loves creative play, but I can only imagine the amount of problems this can cause down the road and if we want to continue playing after the module. We've already established that we're not role-playing any violence towards children, but this is like on the fence. Is this a veto situation? How would you guys handle this situation? I gotta say, man, that's 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 a tough one because I feel like there's two really strong sides to this, and I this is one of those episodes where I kind of wish we had a woman on the panel. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I kind of feel bad. This is three you know, three old three three middle aged dudes talking about this. I think having a uh, he called a himself woman. a saying old. <laughs> he reeled it back in. Oh, we are uh, we're, we're 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 definitely past our uh, we're, we're, we're let's just say we're not in the college years that you know, we've been through this. <laughs> we, all, we all played second edition when it was out there, but first this edition, is first, first edition, edition review. I actually, basic. I played basic and first with uh, I played some first with Tony's group, but even that was hybrid first and second. Second yeah. really, I had the I had I had the magenta box. I learned to play in the magenta box it a little bit, but second edition is really where I came alive in D&D. Yeah, yeah. Neither here nor there for this topic. No, we didn't concern ourselves with such questions back then. <laughs> right? Because I got to tell you, no, no, no D&D book I've ever seen has rules for pregnant characters. Uh, maybe no, there's I'm not saying this yeah. is not one of those Wasn't ones where we say, ooh, check in the back of your DMG, because you actually, they did put it in there. No, not this one. Not Xanatar, not uh, not not um, Tasha's. Uh, Tasha's. No, oh. no one has uh, no one has officially dealt with pregnant characters, to my knowledge. No. So, I mean, this is like this this is really quite a quandary. So, on the one hand, so I, we don't know anything about the player who wants to play this, but I can certainly see, uh, you know, I, I, women not wanting this to be treated like a disability. You know, it's pregnancy is 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 something I can understand a player wanting to role play as part of their character. We've had several characters play, uh, several players play characters who had lost children, but not who were actively pregnant. Yeah. So I can see why someone might want to do this and why they'd be motivated to do it. And I can see the pitfalls as a DM because I mean, what are you going to do? Roll out some some homebrew miscarriage rules? That just seems like it's in really poor taste. You know, mm. oh that that was a natural twenty, make me a con save. Oh, you lost the baby. Good luck with that. That that is that is not going to go over really well at your gaming table, I don't think. I mean, so so what do you guys think? How do you handle this? Well, I'm going to go right to the jugular on this, and the concern is, well, you know, this character will be traveling with a pregnancy and da 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 da. But the joke is, time is endless, right? I mean, the whole Curse of Strahd game took place over, what, three months? Mm. We toured Barovia. We did everything. We looked under every rock. We went up every cliff. We went into every cave. I mean, seriously, the whole campaign could end, and there's no baby. That is certainly true. And at two months pregnant, I mean, look, look, I'm no expert on these things. Um, I I don't have children, so so I'm going to throw that out there right now. But at two months pregnant, you are like your risks are lower than if you're at like, you know, six plus months pregnant. So you're right. If they get the whole campaign done by you know, d- during the second trimester, uh, maybe that works out. Of course, yeah. then you don't have the dramatic having of the baby scene. <laughs> Cut scene at the end. So obviously, like we've seen like um, 
movies uh, and books and TV shows where sometimes the characters are involved in childbearing while some cataclysmic event is happening, right? Whether it's like Walking Dead or, you know, stuff like The Quiet Place, uh, things like that, right? Also, even uh, Mad Max, the last Mad Max movie. Well, yeah, that's right. Uh, my first thing, though, immediately when I read this was I want to know two things. And they decide. So as I was reading the question from Joel, the first thing that came to mind, because he puts right in there right at the end, he says, is this a veto situation? You know, like we've talked about where sometimes you're just like, no, that's just not going to happen in my game. You know, how do you deal with those? The two questions I want to know are, is this player a male or a female? Because uh, that changes my thoughts on this dramatically. And two, what is the sensitivity of the player? And then, you know, ergo, the sensitivity of the table. Because one of my my biggest concern here is that they're playing this for the jokey, irreverent, you know what I mean? Like the like the kind of the ass reasons to play a character, you know, with this type of, you know, with dealing with like, the character is pregnant, right? So, like, that, those are my things. If it's something where it's a player who is seriously wanting to, like, you know, play out some of this stuff and really investigate this, you know, in a way that is respectful, um, and also they happen to also be a woman who maybe has born children or, you know, those types of things, I think I'm way more uh, accessible to that, allowing it in my game, than some douchey guy who's like oh my my character's pregnant you know if it's that kind of thing immediately i'm stamping that down because that is going to that's a big red flag for me yeah, yeah. You, you, so you're saying basically you don't want someone playing this for laughs you not, want yeah, as a bad not at all not at all like I, I i i don't really know where the impetus is coming from and again we don't know joel's table and the players and that's so we're, we're somewhat spitballing here but I really want to know what are the reasons behind this, you know, because two, why is this person adventuring? I mean, there's something to be said about, uh, you know, you're caught in in something, right? You're you happen to, you know, a cataclysmic event happens to your town and you need to get out. And now it's a survival game. Right. And you happen to be pregnant. Holy shit. This is big time. Lost Minds of Fandelver is not the module for that. Lost Minds of Fandover, literally the big hook. I mean, there's no spoiler here. The thing's been out for like 15 years at this point or whatever, right? But the, it starts with you're hired to guard this wagon of goods to Fandolin. You know, it's a whole meet me in Fandolin adventure hook. Uh, you've been hired by your patron to take this. Take the, You're not a mercenary if you're, if you're too unfamiliar. <laughs> well, I, again, that's not necessarily, maybe that's like... I mean, because one of the things that comes to my mind... Is it's dude Dave with no kids saying that. Like, no, maybe you are. Like, you're actively working still, so... Well, you, you, yeah, you would be. I mean, in two months, I mean, especially in America, you're working until pretty deep into the pregnancy. So if you have a manual labor job and you can like, lift groceries and stuff... Yeah. I mean, it may, yeah. You know, I mean, if, if, if your character is a mercenary who got pregnant... Yeah, by by American standards, which are granted not very good, <laughs> you you would still be doing your job. You wouldn't be very getting true. that maternity very leave until you until you get that third trimester. But yeah, my first thing uh, for it though is like I say, like I want to know if it's a male or female player who's who's bringing this to the table because I think that that makes a difference. You know, in the same way that we were very uh, outspoken in the beginning of this episode, saying, "Look, we're not trying to offend anybody," like, but. You know, we realize that we're coming at this from a, a, a somewhat ignorant point of view, you know, being dudes. Um, but, yeah, and then also the sensitivity of the player and the table, you know, kind of gauge that, take that temperature, because that could really trigger me, especially if you've had the conversation, obviously, like Joel has said, of, okay, what's cool and what's not in this campaign? Obviously, violence towards children, which is why they're not playing Curse of Strahd. Obviously. Also, Joel, don't jump from Fandolin into Curse of Strahd. I'm just going to let you know now. OK, or you're going to be having to do a lot of heavy lifting. <laughs> Curse of Strahd was not shy about putting children in harm, children in harm's way. Not shy. Yeah, at exactly. All. Or in cookies. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, look, those are children's bones being turned into those cookies. Yeah, we could save these two kids. But, you know, the thousands who came before, not so much. 
So Tony, what do you think? I mean, you mentioned the kind of you would try to squeeze it in within a time limit, but like as far as like the the general impression, you know, someone comes in and says, "Hey, I want to play a pregnant woman." What do you? How do you react to that? I gotta be honest. I'm looking at this a little differently than Dave is because my main uh, my immediate point is or thought process is unless this story, this that what they're bringing to the table for their character is inherently disruptive uh, to the table in some way. Like, for example, if they were playing some type of character that um, did not want to adventure, that could be a problem. I've been there, unfortunately. Like Their character, like, my shit is I don't want to adventure. Um, and that's just, like, you know, a very generic example. But, you know... Like, where do you veto that? And I, I, I'd be very reluctant to veto anything uh, from a character backstory. I mean, it's like vetoing decisions the character's making during the game. Like, where do you go? You have nowhere to go with that. Hmm. So how do you go about So if you allow that, like, I mean, how would you go about DMing it? Well, I mean, honestly, you know, I'm going to say some crazy stuff. This is a fantasy world. I'm running a game. You can have unprotected sex and never have kids. It's amazing, right? It's a fantasy <laughs> world. So if they chose to have a kid, okay, fine. You're, you, you are indeed pregnant. Uh, I would certainly have a conversation about like, what are your expectations surrounding this? So I give you the, the, the vibe that you were looking for, you know, should we just yeah. be like, Hey, you're pregnant. And like, we're going to mention it at the beginning and then we'll mention it at the end of the campaign when the baby shows up. Or are we really going to do, we're really going to have like moments. Honestly, I think like the character, the baby's lineage and other things surrounding that could certainly uh, creep into the story and be intertwined with the rest of the character's backstory. Those are other opportunities. So you would essentially treat the treat the pregnancy as just kind of a story element and not something that puts the character at risk in any way. I mean, you know, how much realism are we going to add to this? I mean, you take mm -hmm. one fireball to the face and you're never going to look the same. <laughs> <laughs> Give me the bird ward, getting skin grafts. Nobody wants this. Come on, get get this reality out of my fantasy. <laughs> That's a great point, you know, because 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 my mind does first go to, well, shit, they're pregnant, you know, and you're getting beat up by goblins or whatever. And, you know, poison gas attacks from green dragons. And, you know, that is my first instinct to be like, OK, well, what does this really mean? But you bring up a great point. It doesn't need to mean anything like it can be a story element without actually being something that is at risk of like a miscarriage or something. A mechanical element. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, with that, though, too, Tony, because that was an excellent point, Tony, there where you were saying like that you were coming in from a very different point of view. And I, I'm actually agreeing with you. I would actually uh, approach it in the same way after I understand who's bringing this to me and what and what's the reasoning, because you made some good points there. Like, cool. What is what is the lineage? Who's who's the father of this of this child? Right. Like. How does does that play into the larger world? Does that play into the larger story in some way? And that's fun stuff to play with. But again, it is that point where is it that's the thing where you're going to you're going to mention it in the in the beginning of the campaign. You're going to make some references to it while it's still new and fresh. And everyone's like, oh, my God, this is so crazy. And then you're not going to bother with it as they're dungeon delving. Right. And then, you know, something happens with it. But with that, too, as we've said, with most story beats, anything in the character's backstory, anything that's happening in the adventure itself or in the campaign, we're constantly hitting these upbeats and downbeats. We're, we're playing that tension dial for narrative tension, for real-time tension at the table during combat situations and things like that. But that's where I would get a little funny about it because I'm. it's not me turning the tension rod on this character, well, now I'm turning the tension rod on this character and the kid. And like, do I do something with that? Do I, you know, it, it starts, it, for me, I feel kind of, ah, I don't want to, I don't want to touch it. Like, I don't want to play with that, you know, at my table with my players and I know them and we're all in agreement with things. Um, but just my first read on this, like, I'm really kind of like, you're, it's like the way I'm feeling for this past 15 minutes where I'm kind of like watching myself talk and being like, just don't fuck this up, Dave. You know, like <laughs> don't put your foot in your fucking mouth because you're not trying to, but you're trying to explore this question. You know what I mean? So, and I, for the same reason that Joel sent this really 
really, really deep question in. This is probably the most uh, off-the-wall one we've ever gotten, I think, in our third season now. Well, uh, yes, this is this is episode 101. I guess you'd call it our third season. We're not quite in our third year. We probably are, actually. We've skipped that a couple. We've skipped a couple uh, I break them into 50s. Yeah. <laughs> so... You know, and I think this is a, you know, it, Tony, it, the way Tony is looking to approach it, I think, is, is probably the best option, right? You have a player who has God a story helps. element, put it in and don't ruin it. <laughs> don't don't add unnecessary realism to just make things dark and gritty and lame. Don't, you know, don't take the, don't, don't steal the thunder from the, from this piece of drama they're trying to put in by, you know, undoing it with some some random ogre's critical hit or something. You know, mm. just, you know, make it something that's more of a story point, and not, as Tony said, a, and not a mechanical point. Now, Dave, you keep saying, you know, you, you'd want to know what they want to do. And that is actually something that the more I think about this, the more I'd really want to get into that. Cause I have a lot of questions. Actually. Yeah. It just as you unpack it. Right. It just yeah, because build questions. Because you start thinking about, OK, how has this been presented in other stories? Right. I mean, we talked about. You know, Mad Max, Quiet Place, Living Dead. But I, I can also think of like Supernatural, where you or, or or Charmed, where people have had babies that weren't. You know, is this just a regular human pregnancy, or mm. is this pregnancy the result of some Something kind of supernatural else. circumstance, uh, where you know they're giving birth to potentially the Antichrist or potentially some angel's child or something that is, all that is also perhaps you know protected and can help protect the mother somehow. You know, there's another way to go about that, that it doesn't need to be a source of fragility. It can actually be a source of extra power with some role-playing kind of down, like not downsides, but some role-playing things you need to watch out for in, in, in the game. But then also maybe, you know, the baby becomes something if it has some magical powers that can save the party in a bad situation. Or maybe the baby's making bad things happen. You literally have a show on HBO right now called The Baby, where a baby keeps killing people. <laughs> It's a well, supernatural baby, baby, and it's killing people. Actually, <laughs> Thor, that's a great point that I, I that uh, I hadn't really thought about. But yeah, like Tony had said, like take the realism out of my fantasy, right? Yeah. So if this is where, excuse me, where you're going with it, what, I mean, we're dealing in a world that has celestials and fays and fiend and undead and all these other things, extra planar beings. So is is it? Is it, uh, you know, is it involved in that in some way that completely changes it? And you can then start to play with it in a much more narrative and even mechanical way, like you were saying. That is an interesting point and maybe okay. something for Joel to. This is something where, like, I think, like we've talked about before, you know, a player brings a, a, a different idea to you as the DM, you know, when you're going to be running a game. And we've talked about how we kind of are at the negotiating table where we say, that's cool. How about instead of this part of it, though, we have this and you throw it back to them. And that's something where maybe if you're concerned about like like the way I'm kind of talking about it this whole goddamn time, if that's something, then, yeah, add a more fantastical element to it and see if they want to play with that. Even, you know, I don't even know if it's negotiation. I'd want to talk to the player to find out what direction they want to go. What do you have in mind for this? Yeah, you know, just as we talked about, you know, what how do you expect this experience to be? Do you expect this to be more realistic? We're trying to protect the baby and you're in, and it's at risk of being injured in combat, or do you want it to be more story focused where it's not something that's mechanically at risk? Or do you want it to be, you know, or do you want it to be a more supernatural type of thing? What's your what is the backstory? Was this a tryst with 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 like the prince or something? Now you're running away. Mm. Or was this something like a, some kind of you know, supernatural kind of pregnancy or something, so, something weird where the baby could have some some extra power, extra mechanical kind of weight to the game and really find out what the player wants to do? Because it's almost like I wouldn't pitch it as, hey, how about instead of that, we do this? I would just want to find out what kind of experience they want to have, like Tony was saying, because if the player wants to do this as just a, as it's a pregnant character with a baby and that's how they want to adventure and they want to just play that out as a normal pregnancy, I want to give them that. If they're open or they want to have it to be more magical, more supernatural, I want to give them that, right? Mm. If you're going to play with it, yeah, find out definitely where, where they are and why are they bringing this very specific yeah. uh, character yeah. backstory to you, yeah. Back to the veto question, I think I'd only veto something if it really gave that character some type of obvious leg up on the others. 
at the at the snap yeah. where they're like, well, you know what? I'm a prince. Okay, you want to be a prince? Are you a disenfranchised prince? Are you a prince in the run, or do you have an army behind you? Because those are two entirely different situations. Yeah, I, mean, I don't mind giving the if they want to take the noble. I mean, there's a noble background in the player's handbook. They can take that, and that has it's some your skill. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You get a skill. You get you get you get a your position of privilege gives you certain privileges uh-huh. in the countryside, and I think you do get a little more money. Yep. It's not like a ridiculous amount. And then you kind of role play out, well, what happens with the you know, daddy? And if you go back to get money, because you can always say, you know, that the, the king doesn't want to give out money or you've already spent your allowance or, you know, you can then handle that the way you think makes the most sense in your world. I also think, you know, we've talked before about characters who want to come in with special items or magic items or magic weapons. I do kind of feel like if you're going to give that to one character, you kind of need to give it to everyone. Right. You know, even if I mean, unless it's like something that's really inconsequential, but if it's a consequential magic item or say they want to come in with a like the old Dark Sun thing, they want to come in with a wild sonic talent. Well, Dark Sun gave everyone a wild sonic talent. So, you know, that 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 sort of thing is something I think you, you, you need to balance across the table if you're going to give the privilege to one player. Yeah, no, that's a really tough sell to just to give out to one person and be like, hey, this person starting with a magic sword because they asked for it. Oh, Shit, I didn't realize I should come out of the game and be like, okay, I want to play a ranger. And by the way, what can I shake you down for? Can I get an amulet, <laughs> perhaps some magic arrows? How about a Pegasus? Like, what, what, like, what are we offering here? You all get one comic magic I- common magic item, or comic, depending on how you want to go with this. Yeah. <laughs> like, a, one... like a cape. Yeah, you, you, you all get one common magic item, take your pick, and there you go. Yeah, and, and I'm, all, I'm all for, like, characters in the game coming with intuitive things or, or interesting things to, like, go after to drive their character to build them up as motivation. I think that's fantastic. But what you want to do in that respect mechanically before you've even hit the ground, that I'm not as interested in. Yeah. Yeah, because it's like, you know, there's there are mechanics in the game for building a cool character, right? I mean, you've got your class, your race, your 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 alignment, all that stuff's already built in. You don't need to come in with an extra bonus to feel special. You just decide how your character is going to be special. You know, if, if you need that plus something else, well, then I think everyone else gets something else too. That's generally the way I approach it. But I agree, you know, it's, um, you don't want to go vetoing good ideas and you don't want to, you know, we've talked a lot about inspiration from the DM's point of view. You know, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had the episode about uh, campaign worlds you want to play in. And we said, you know, follow your inspiration. Well, you got to allow your players to follow their inspiration too. Something to be honest, I haven't necessarily been open enough to sometimes I find, you know, because if the player's inspired by an idea, you're, you're, you're going to have a better game. You can let them explore that and let mm. them do something like that. That isn't mechanically unbalancing and it doesn't make the rest of the party feel like sidekicks, but it does give them, you know, lets them play with the role-playing space they want to play in. They are the things that lets them follow their muse. Yeah, I want to. That is that is one of the biggest things, though. I want to know what the why of it, right? Like we've been saying, that's because that's a big thing. And this is it's not a as you said in the beginning, Thorne. You don't want to play it like a disability or or as a disadvantage necessarily. But the closest thing that I can come up with is my conception of Roderick, right, during the yeah. Storm King's Thunder campaign, where I had an idea that was completely pulled from the House of Usher of this like cursed line that was affecting the male lineage of this elven half elven um family like dying nobility family kind of like the house of usher and i brought that to tony and i was playing i was playing it up i mean i was playing with a shit con i had con as my dump stat we've talked about many times um, which we massaged An excellent choice we, we we massaged out over several levels you know but that was something where I had a reason and I had a, a pretty solid backstory as to what was happening and what I wanted to kind of explore that Tony said, wow, this is something I really want to play with. So, yeah, let's go with it. And then worked with me to then build that into something that you could use in the campaign where I wasn't just you know, going to be off in the first, you know, first two sessions. Um, yeah, and thankfully, you, something sure. we've been able to play with now that we've crossed over campaigns um, that we're continuing to play with in the one shot as well, as I'm starting to kind of feed him into the Curse of Strahd campaign uh, in some fashions as well. So 
so yeah, to be able to explore that and play that out. Um, so I really would want to see, like I said, I want to know who the player is and what the table is like, because maybe you, Joel's table is a lot of people who are like really narratively focused, you know, they're, they're maybe they're drama people who knows. Um, and they want to play out these, they want to play these kind of like these these life stories in this kind of deep, like, you know, uh, after school special almost kind of style. Right. Yeah. Um, and if that's the case, that's awesome. But I'm hoping that they're bringing that one of this is where I want the character to go. This is what I'm looking at as to why they're coming in with a child now, you know, they're childbearing. Right. Why is that happening? And how does that feed the story as to why I now have to go out? An adventure and just hopefully they're not paired with some wild pyromaniac goblin who just <laughs> says totally inappropriate things all yeah time. maybe don't give out the wand of wonder immediately that's all he'll be a great <laughs> uncle one day and definitely don't give out tony's updated fucking wand of wonder right away either wait till the end game okay because then you you do they roll, they roll some fucking shit and i i urge every listener just go check it out and give us your feedback because Tony put in a ton of work on his updated Wand of Wonder, and we're starting to field test it in Strahd. And uh, it's got some, it's got some fun, um, it's got some fun uh, things that happen. I, that, I just is an article, that is an article on our website from just a couple weeks ago. You can definitely uh-huh. go check it out. I will say, so that this this wand was given to players level fourteen. Yes. access to seventh level spells and another campaign. I mean, a lot of the stuff on the wand, like the wand, basically there's not a lot of downside. There's not a lot of hitting your, your party members. And it effectively lets you unleash what is like usually like an 86 attack every turn. However, I've realized recently there is sunbeam and probably other spells at, at, at sixth and seventh level that do give you 86 attacks every turn. So, like, you know, 86 area effects every turn. So maybe it's not as overpowered as it seems. Oh, no. I don't know. It's just fun in the way it uh, it plays out to you, I think. That the, the flame yeah. vortex was a little, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, there are plenty in much. there that there are plenty in there that when uh, when they go off, whoever happens to be in the range is just going to have to s- take it in the teeth. You know, friendly or foe, you know? No, almost none of them affect friendly characters. That's that's what I've, uh, I, unless am I wrong, Tony? I, if I remember correctly, almost all of them are, are you get to choose the targets, right? Um, uh, first of all, I want to throw out there that I would have liked another week to to tweak this before I released it. I was kind of to that deadline that's fair. That's to, re- fair. to release this. If another week, I don't know what I would have changed. And we're kind of already doing some errata, like one, another, someone, uh, uh, Lucas pointed out that I don't want the Adamatite anvil that gets dropped on the target sticking around indefinitely because they just picked up a few, you know, a hundred thousand gold pieces worth of material. But that that is not what I had intended for that. There uh, actually isn't there in the beginning of the write up a statement of how long things last for. He he got into the uh, s- some different interpretations around that. For example, like one of the characters that got hit with a wave. You know, they're wet afterwards, or they're hit with snow, they're, they're still drenched afterwards. Like, some of these other residual effects did stick around. Um, but, yet, I actually created this from other spell effects, and I just made them yeah. more interesting and fun and more less mundane. The problem is, I want to wonder, like, when you're a 14th-level character, you you can't have, or even, like, you're a 7th-level, I think, go back to that one battle we had in Storm King's Thunder, which was super pitched, and we're way off topic, but I'm going to do this anyway. <laughs> where we were the hill giant stronghold. Ooh. And there was like seven hill giants running around. The boss hill giant. Hobgoblins. Wargs. Um, ogres. It was a real absolute. That was probably one of the more ten, like top three tense battles we had in the whole campaign. Yes. And everybody really had to have, dare I say, their shit together. Like, things needed to fall into place. They needed to rely on each other and start really chaining some things together and use their characters really effectively, or you were going to get wiped. Like, all the freaking bad guys were in that room, and you were trying to pick them off. And if you're in a situation where you're using random stuff, where it's like, I spent my like, one game in Curse of Strahd, body stunned herself. 
Like, you can't, like, that is not a good item for a character in these situations. I mean, I mean, need I say more? Like, he, it, it's I think gotta... that's exactly how the Wanda Wonder is supposed to work. So that was how we decided, uh, just to round off this, yes, very far afield thing. Um, but that is how we kind of decided, uh, between Bonnie and I, how to play with it is that because it is such a chaotic instrument by its very nature, and this updated version is a wildly chaotic instrument by its very nature. Each day, she doesn't know which wand is going to show up. So, there we go. More chaos. I liked the, um, I've said this before, second edition, the one good thing about the second edition Wild Mage was the way it interacted with the Wand of Wonder. There were two abilities that went with it. One was you were able to, you were, you were basically able to attempt to cast any spell you knew. And you had a 50-50 chance of it working. And if and if it didn't work, then you got the magic surge from the Wanda Wonder. So you could use the Wanda Wonder to try to cast mm. any spell you know without using a spell slot, but 50-50 chance the Wanda Wonder that, that you're not going to get it, and then the Wanda Wonder just you just roll randomly on the table. The other thing they had was you had some limited control over it. As you went up in level, you were able to shift the die roll like like some number. Yeah. So that was also helpful. You could say, okay, I can pop it this way or that way and kind of get a, a better result than what came up. But it was limited. It was very limited. So I thought that was a good way to approach a Wand of Wonder where it interacted with a class that made it a good thing for that class in theme. And actually, Tony let me, when I played my last Wild Mage Nort Spellslinger, Tony let me get a Wand of Wonder, and I thought it was a lot of fun. And I also thought it wasn't overpowered because the number of times when it did the wrong thing at the wrong time he pulled like, everything you know, out. Yeah, it's like, it's like the fact that, okay, half the time I might be able to get a free spell off, whereas another half the time I might cast Enlarge on the dragon we're fighting or Darkness on the whole party and, you know, we don't have the Dark Vision. Like, it really did kind of work itself out. It was a, it was a random, it was random but more useful than the base Wanda Wonder. And I think that's a good mechanic for the Wild Mage. Like, I really think that worked out really well. That was, uh, that was certainly a lot of fun, and I want it to be fun, but... You know, there, there's a point where, you know, it, it, the things have to be impactful in the battle. Like, if we were doing, like, storytelling theatrical things, I think that would be, you know, like, hey, oh, my, you made grass grow out of the ogre's ears. Like, ha, 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 that's fantastic. Except, like, these things are trying to actively kill you. And you're going to get, you know, much as we all enjoy a good uh, TPK. <laughs> oh, come on. We haven't had a TPK in 5th edition yet. Well, you know. Wait we had a TPC. It. Yes. But not a TPK. Total so, party capture, not a total party kill. But something Reeling it back Dave, in. It back but in. something Dave was talking about that I think is certainly point worthy. If there, you're in a game that is is more on the storytelling role play focused, then I, I think that also could be a, a, a good element. Mm, so, so if, you, if you're really like, you're into a character, like if these characters are driving the story, mm. if you know, it's all about your journey together and you're making this happen. So the onus is now on the group and there's a world that you're moving around in, but you're not like just swept up in this Tolkien story. You know, I, I think you've it's got some uh, potential. Yeah. So dragging this back to uh, <laughs> to the topic of the week here um, in terms of you know wild character requests that players wanted to bring into the game wild things they wanted their character to do at first level uh, what are some of the craziest things you've had to deal with and what do you do about it well honestly uh, Dave saying I'd like a weaker character uh, <laughs> really like, I, like, I'm sorry. I, you know, I don't really always read all my text fully. Let me just look at this again because I, uh, you know, maybe I didn't drink my coffee. Like, everybody's always trying to, like, you know, get this leg up. And they're like, you know, my father bequeathed me this axe. And, it, you know, that's what I'm used to. The axe of the dwarvish lords. And I just yeah. happen to have it. I, I don't know what to tell you. Or, you know, someone's trying to tell me they want to have a character who's level one but has a preposterous backstory. Like, they've been fighting, you know, uh, you know, the Dugar in the Underdark for the last 150 years. And I'm like, and you're starting at level one because you banged your head. Uh, <laughs> like, you know, you're recovering from pneumonia. Like, like what, what, how, how did this happen? How are you possibly level one? That makes no sense that you've been facing uh, legions of the Dark Forces. 
So uh, and then I got, it kind of got this image of this asthmatic musician that, you know, Roderick uh, was going to be. And I'm like, you know, you're going to be fighting some really heavy shit in this game. Right. <laughs> like this isn't <laughs> this isn't like exploring the goblins warren. I like that after like 30 years. I was able to bring you one that made you go, wait, what? Tony <laughs> <laughs> is so used to character players trying to abuse the system. He didn't know what to do with someone trying to do or to, to, to disabuse the system. And tell you the truth, that's for me. Like I haven't actually had to, I, I don't want to say deal with, uh, because actually most of the things that people have brought that I've kind of been like, that's really cool. I just don't want to kind of work with it right now. Like as we're first starting, Mainly because it was things that would probably allow a level of mechanical advantage, like we were talking about, to that character over other characters, you know. Um, some of them being, uh, Thorin, you wanted to bring into Slaver's Bay, you wanted to kind of uh, do a similar thing that you had done in one of Tony's campaigns where mm. you were multiple beings, in essence, and depending on what you rolled that morning kind of thing, you became that person whoever it is well, that class that whatever right that's what i did in tony's game in your case what i had asked for was actually a little even more powerful was i'd asked for the druidic shape shifting of the moon druid to be able to shift into other character classes so i thought that'd be kind of neat but i did know it might not you know, might not be down with it so i wasn't yeah. attached to it when i yeah it. so like and it's a cool idea and it's something where i'm like oh man that'd be kind of fun to play with i don't know if i want to do it in the first game yeah. of this new yeah. camp, you know, that type of thing. Um, Bonnie, as I've talked about previously, she won um, campaign. She wanted to play a ghost character. And I went, right. Yeah. Oh man, that's really cool. But that opens it similar in some ways to this, but in a different fashion, but it opened up a lot of questions where I'm like, okay, how do I deal with all of these other things that aren't going to affect any other player at the table, but that will affect her, but that she'll also gain benefit from. So, you know, I kind of said, um, you know, maybe if let's, let's say you die, you can come back as this ghost character. Cause that went by that point we're in the story, right? People, yeah. Power curve is improved. We got a better handle of what's happening. That type of thing. Challenge accepted. Yeah. I, I, I would be making a ghost template. I'm like, let's do this. All right, fine. You're dead. <laughs> Um, have fun at the bar. All right. You can't get drunk. You're not going to have sex. Well, maybe you are. I, I don't know. I mean, is it going to involve possession? How tangible are you? How but, does daylight affect you? Yeah. How does your equipment affect you? But my also, one of my big concerns too, I was like, well, what happens when you lose hit points? How do you gain them back? Cause you're, you're not alive anymore. So are you just, you only have a finite amount and then you're completely gone forever. And then what if a cleric puts out their destroy undead feature? You're you're gone. <laughs> what if they're like wow, Beavis level? Beavis is level 14 right now. His uh, destroy undead goes up to CR3. So pretty much whites and under, he just goes, nope, you're gone. Wipe. <laughs> yeah, well, it's fine. Wipe the white. <laughs> their, their resistance to that would probably change with levels. Uh, I would play it a little soft. I would allow healing magic to work on ghosts in this situation because there are more grounded, uh, sentient, not carnal, dripping into necrotic energy ghosts. So they wouldn't, of course, have the full force of like a first edition ghost with 10 hit dice that could age somebody, you know, 40 to 80 years to touch. Like they're not getting that. They would have ghostly qualities to them. Yeah. So they certainly, like, perhaps uh, they would have, uh, I, I don't know, like, some degree of phasing. I wouldn't let them just phase indefinitely, because they could just run around through the whole castle and look at everything in every situation, kind of like a worse version of Thorn's Imp in your game. Invisible, <laughs> invisible Imp for the win. Um, you know, I actually agree with Tony on this. I, I would, th those questions to me are, like, simply, okay, I would allow healing to affect the ghost. Uh, however, I would also make the ghost affected by the turn undead. And I would up the level, like as the ghost gained levels, I would up its for its, its effective CR rating. So it's probably always ahead of your destroy undead. But I would make that a problem that the priest and the ghost had to worry about. Mm. You know, I would be they, like, like the priest turns undead and your ghost pal also gets turned and now she's running away. Right. So I would play with both. I would, because I think that's kind of, I think that'd be kind of interesting to play with. I think Absolutely. Funny, you know, absolutely. 
Um, but I would allow healing, like like flat out. I'd allow that to work. Or I would give them another way to heal the ghost, you know, something else. Um, I'm not sure how that would be. Maybe necrotic energy can heal it, something like that. Um, you know, for me, it's interesting. So I've had this kind of challenge from a couple different angles. Uh, my very, I, I've always kind of had players who want to do things that are like, not quite in the book. Uh, yeah, Bonnie is a good example. Like the, the first 5e game we're playing, I'm telling everyone yeah. to keep it nice and simple. She goes and pulls in a race, for a, an unearthed arcana race that was not approved. Like, <laughs> like, so I'm like... That you never saw anywhere else again. They just like got rid of it. No, yeah, they didn't approve it. I mean, it hasn't been super disruptive. It hasn't been super disruptive or anything, but there was sort of like a, Ugh, I'd rather you pick something in the book. Oh, I really want to do this. All right, you can do this. Go ahead. Also, uh, the my um, the big the big second edition game we had, the one player we've talked about it before. My one player wanted to come in as a werewolf. Werewolf, yeah. And I just flat out just made him a werewolf template. Boom, there you go. Because at the time I was just a little crazy with that kind of thing. Yeah, I was like, whatever you want to do, I'll make it happen. And I just made him a werewolf template. And that actually worked out pretty well. We had a good time with that. But second edition was a little more flexible. Uh, you didn't have things like bounded accuracy to worry about. And you could always throw other stuff at other players if someone felt overpowered. So I thought that just that that worked out well. The other kind of problem I've run into, because um, some of the stuff, like if someone just wants to come up with like, oh, like, I want to come up with like a plus three sword at first level, that's a no. I might give them a plus one that levels up with them. Uh, which I've done before for some characters. So that's not as bad of a thing, but you do, I think, have to think about giving it to, giving other players some kind of advantage to go with that. But when we started Woodstock Wanderers, two of the character, two of the players who are older players, uh, one very experienced, one not experienced with D&D at all, they wanted to play older characters who had had adventuring careers already. And the, the one player was kind of fine with, okay, he's forgotten most of his stuff and he's just, you know, he's just leveling up by the book. The other player who wasn't so used to D&D wasn't like kind of didn't get that at first and kind of wanted to be, you know, like, like, oh, I can teach, you know, he kind of wanted to be kind of the de facto party leader because he's an old because he was an older kind of someone who had who, who had done a lot of adventuring and trained warriors. But I'm like, you're yeah. still first level, dude. Like, you're not going to be just because you're playing an older character. You are still starting at first level. And you're not going to have any kind of leadership over the party that you don't naturally accrue. Like you're not just going to be able to boss people around because of who your character is, because that's not going to be a fun experience for the other players, which is what you have to watch out for in any of these things. Right. Someone wants to do a character that's cool to them, but they want some bonuses with it. And those bonuses make them better than the other players, make the other players feel like they're less part of the story. Uh, make the other, you know, it, it's very easy to, to kind of give one character, one player some boons and all of a sudden everyone else feels like, well, I guess it's their story and not really mine. I'm just, I'm just, you know, a support character and you got to avoid that. So that's, that's the one big danger with these things is finding a way to accommodate what the player wants to do without it upsetting that kind of feeling, not just of balance, but of relevance for everyone at the table. That reminds me of when we were playing a fourth edition game. We're all using figs. And I found this wizard fig that I thought was really awesome. It was an older wizard. And I'm like, yeah, this is fantastic. Here's my character. Boom. And I meet up with the party in um, the inn. And the ranger turns to me and goes, so why did you start adventuring? Have an end of life crisis? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, in the, in the case of both the players who did this, that is sort of what happened. The, they had both been in comfortable positions. Uh, the one was part of a, a, a part of a, a, a paladin order, and he just basically he was a very Falstaffian character who had done his adventuring, and now he just enjoyed hanging out and eating all the food and drinking all the beer. And they kicked him out, and said, "Look, we can't let you stay here unless you go do some do some deeds." They forced him adventuring. The other character was a wizard who had been part of an adventuring party when he was younger. And now he, he had retired. The warrior in the party had become a king. The wizard retired and became his court mage. Many years went by. The king died. His son inherited the castle and boom, kicked the old mage out. <laughs> so in both those cases, they had story reasons to be adventuring, but there was just kind of setting the ground rules of, okay, just because your backstory says that you're, that, that, that you're an older, more advanced person, we're in a first level party. You're starting at first level. No, and and obviously, I mean, most of our, our uh, longtime listeners will know, uh, but this is obviously from the Woodstock Wanderers group, and yeah. it's the Sir Morton character, the paladin, and uh, our former wizard, Hasbin, um, who literally was a Hasbin, um, <laughs> yes. was was Scott's character. And Subtle but, pun in and, the name, very subtle pun. Yeah, 
which I think you actually played out very well in terms of like how you explained it for that uh, to have like these people with these extensive backstories. But why are they starting at level one? I thought that was really uh, a, a real simple and elegant fix. Um, well, also, and I, honestly, and I don't want to take any credit here in especially in Hasbin's case. Scott came in with that. Scott right. understood the situation and came in with that. In um in Sir Morton's case, it was a little more of me kind of problem solving. Yeah. But it was, you know, um, yeah, he was also open to that. And that but was I sort of half the backstory he brought anyway. I just had to uh, make him I just I needed him to understand that, well, it's a first level party, you're not coming in as a 14th level adventurer. Yeah, I don't care what I your think backstory is. It worked out quite well in that way in the story yeah. and in the adventure. And it was it was kind of exactly what we were talking about in the beginning. It was much more story and narrative focus. And much less mechanically focused, like, you know, there were some initial questions about, like, did 5e have any kind of, like, age things where, like, if you're, like, Call of Cthulhu, for instance, you have certain bonuses and and uh, deficits that occur with what age you're put in. Sometimes you get more education and intelligence, but you lose some, some uh, strength and, and fortitude as you get older type of thing, which I think is a can be an interesting mechanic, but we didn't even bother with any of that. It was just, okay, this is who they are, level one, let's see where it goes. And it was it was exactly very just story-driven and very for the character story arc itself. Yeah. That mechanic actually existed in first edition. Where and second too, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and, you know, that was been a trade-off. Like, well, if you want to, again, let's get back to that good old template. You want to play an older character? No problem. You know, you're going to be a little slower and not so great at the lifting, but you had gained intelligence and wisdom. Yeah. But there is a problem with that, which is it really favors the spellcasters over the martial characters. So you got to be careful with that a little bit because, yeah, it sounds great. Like, oh, yeah, this just makes sense. You get older, you get a little slower. Well, yeah, but that's why athletes retire before college professors do. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and that, so, so, so it makes it harder to advance a martial character in that direction. Although Paladin's a little got some other stuff going on, so you can make him more magically focused. Um, but it actually is a boon to the to to the wizard, right? Because the wizard gets smarter, whereas the paladin, well, he just gets weaker. So, like, it's a cool mechanic. It makes sense. Very natural mechanic. But if you start looking at it class to class, it's not an even mechanic. So you got to be careful of that. Well, the downside is you are old and you are role playing sure. an old character sure. in every situation. It's like, well, I've got this higher wisdom. That's fantastic. This doesn't help me up this mount cliff face at which we're scaling. Well, well, most it of does that if you can cast of... more spells like you could in second edition. Uh, Tony has made the point, too, earlier, is that like that's what you're coming in with, like, quote, at level one. So that I think it still will even the playing field because our entire two and whatever year campaign in Curse of Strahd is probably six months of actual, like, you know, in-world yeah. time. So Very generous six months. So, like, it doesn't really, like, you know, the wizard would be older and more intelligent because they've spent more time in the, you know, the Arcanum or wherever they've been, um, you know, in the temples uh, where the, you know, the martial character is just coming out. I, I got my sword. Let's go. So, but. Nice I, over there. I, I could have seen that in some of the older mechanics where you had to roll for your dice and they were su- like your stats and they were super unforgiving. So at one point, and I, I shit you not, I played a uh, wizard and my highest stat was a 16 and I had like two hit points. <laughs> so, you know, what? in that situation, I'm taking the deep ball. I'm like, F it. Get- I'm old, too. Fine. Like, you know. <laughs> I'm already not getting any hit bonus hit points. Let's just take it right to the bottom. Just double down. Yeah, double yeah. down. You got a big I got one hit point, point, but I'm I'm really I'm really well I'm really wise. Oh my god, one bad dagger hit and you're fucking gone. Not even dude. a bad dagger hit, any hit. Shit, <laughs> just a a a, a, a an iffy one hit ball. point, any hit. Yeah, yeah just like you any hit. trip in the dungeon, you might take just bludgeoning damage enough from the fall. Concussion. <laughs> Jesus. Talk about right. gritty. We have been going on about this for a little while, so I'm going to make some final thoughts on you know, kind of these more extreme player character requests and how to handle them and how, how, how do you approach a player who brings these kind of ideas to you? Well, I appreciate any player that actually comes forth with a uh, unique and interesting take 
on something that's not uh, an obvious power grab of some form. Like, you know, like I've already got one of the crystals of the soul gem and it's my, you know, quest to get the rest of these. This gives me the following powers. Okay, good creativity, but, you know, what about everybody else? So uh, in that respect, it's certainly cool. Uh, That specific uh, player's request, I would make it more story focused to make it work in the game. I would talk to them, ask them what their expectations surrounding this are, see if you can meet in the middle, and you can provide a good experience where, like, you're like, hey, you know what? I enjoyed playing this idea that I had. You really made it work, and at the end, you could look at it and say that, you know, they would say that they appreciated it, and that's fantastic. The only other thing is where you look at the scenario, like, where it's going to be of, uh, in that particular case, if it's going to be more of a uh, story-driven character, or, like, it's going to be a lot more role-play than more of a focused uh, combat-oriented campaign, then I think that's where that uh, idea particularly shines. But I will say also, uh, in tied with Dave's idea, though, uh, Thorne's character, who was three separate people randomly, <laughs> that was that was challenging, and that was pretty wild. And that was actually a lot of fun to DM. <laughs> it's fun to play, boring. too. <laughs> I was not boring. Oh, no, there was a really cool one similarly. In, it wasn't a game I was running, but it was uh, one of the games that we were playing with Bonnie's family, and there was uh, her one nephew and his girlfriend. Um, they weren't, like, they weren't always going to be available at the same time, so they had an idea of they each had a character that would, like, swap out whenever one of them could show up. And like they would be sucked through this like portal or something and the other one would show up and it would be. And I was like, that's kind of, that's a cool way to just kind of deal with the, you know, schedule conflicts, you know. But but Tony, would you say that that character, like if they bring you that character and it's a Goliath named Manos and he has one of the soul gems already, you'd probably be like, nah, I, I need a little more. Well, <laughs> no, again, this it, is Manos. He's it, a giant. Maybe you have a map Goliath. to one of the soul gems. You don't have one yet. Yeah, 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 I don't really give – I'm not impressed with a, a, a player who comes up with an idea of why they should get something right out of the gate as much as they have a really creative idea of why their character is interesting. Develop these things in the game. When we're in the game, go for whatever the hell you want. You want to go find the equivalency of the soul gem? I bet it's somewhere. Knock yourself out. This is D&D. Go find that shit, but do it in the game. The purple Goliath named Manos, um, or Thanos, maybe. Um, yeah, back to, I mean, to Joel's question specifically, just to, to start with, uh, I go back to my original thing. I would want to know who the player is, why they're bringing this very specifically, and what my table looks like. Uh, because obviously that is a topic with a character who's pregnant, that depending on how you're going to play this story out, could cause some problems for some of the other players, and rightfully so, because that can be a very, very touchy subject for people. In terms of bringing in just wacky character concepts or character concepts that aren't wacky but are just really different than anything you've ever done, I have not cleared it yet on in my own games, but I will say as I'm going forward in my time now, even in beginning games, I would become more and more open to it because I have a better sense of how I might be able to play with it. Like we were just talking with, you know, Thorin's idea with his his werewolf player that came in or, you know, the ghost character or the character who's three different people. And they're, you know, they're always swapping out. It's like Moon Knight style, right? With the multiple personalities, depending on who shows up, it could go. Sort of. Yeah, it it could almost go like the Wand of Wonder style where like in the (laughs) worst situation, you got like the gift shop guy who shows up, you know, that might be actually super fun. But um, yeah, I wouldn't just immediately veto, but I would really find out from the person like what are they really looking for and see if it's something that's to drive the story and the narrative forward, because then that's things you can actually play with and actually turn into something special, I think. Yeah, definitely. So I guess my first uh, first final thought is this. If just just to to, to explain why this three person character wasn't so crazy, they were all (laughs) the same. level. That's the key. They all level up. So basically, when I leveled up, I leveled up all three characters. There were different races, different classes. So there were different characters. 
And we just didn't know quite which one I was, was going to wake up as in the, that morning. So that's the way that worked. You know, it wasn't like a, there was it wasn't like there was a level 20 character in there and a level three character. You know, they all were competent <laughs> in their own way. And I didn't mind building three characters. I had fun with that. So that wasn't the problem for me. We're learning how to play all three characters. In fact, the only problem I had was sometimes you got two characters. that was, They got the same character back to back. I'm like, no, that's not the spirit of this role. So we eventually made it that you were always going to be someone different. But that was an interesting thing. It was a lot of fun. I think it could be neat to do the same thing with a shape-shifting character who can turn into other classes, but that might be broken. We haven't tried it yet. I don't know. You know, it's like he walks up to the door. It's like, well, hey, look, now I'm a, now I'm a rogue, and I picked a lock. Now I'm a barbarian, and I tank the damage. You know, that uh, it could be cool. I think it could be fun, but there is some room for abuse there if you can control what character you turn into. So maybe Dave wasn't so wrong in vetoing that, especially not for his first game he was DMing. Yeah. Now, as far as uh, allowing, you know, pre- you know, vetoing characters with these kind of weird backstory requests, it is often my knee jerk to do that. And I think that's a bad instinct. Like on my part, I think it's a bad instinct. You want to give ca- give players a chance to to chase their own muses, to, to, to create the characters they're inspired to play and to give them the room to play that character in the game. And that's not always so easy as a DM when you feel really responsible for game balance and, you know, getting people to, you, know, you kind of just sometimes just wish they just picked the normal stuff so you can just play around with it. But, you know, your players, it's as important that your players are inspired as it is that you are inspired. So you're not going to have a great game if you're inspired, but the players are playing crap they don't want to play. You're not going to have a great game if the players love their characters, but you're running a game you don't want to run. You got to find the balance there. And the balance usually starts with saying yes and, you know, it's 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 the old improv tactic. You want to do this thing. Okay. And why do you want to do it? How do you see this working out? Get a feel for what they want out of that character build and what you're going to put in the story in order to help them pay off on it. And from there, you can you can work together to make a fun game that fits your sense of balance and your sense of the world and story, but also fits what they're inspired to play. So I think you definitely want to try to do that. And that's really the most important thing to take away here. So yeah, Joel, we don't know all the details of the situation. Our advice would be you know, talk to them about what they want and see if you can make it work. And don't feel like you need to be negative about it. Don't feel like you need to put penalties in on it. I think Tony, my first instinct was shit, man. I, well, I guess I'm homebrewing some miscarriage rules. No, that's terrible. It, it is terrible. It's a bad idea. Don't do it. Don't <laughs> make it something where focus they can enjoy, things. not something that's going to be taken away at a bad hit or something. You know, don't, you know, it's 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 not it doesn't need to be that fragile it's a fantasy world and frankly women walk around pregnant every day so we, <laughs> the majority of them are just fine you know it's not it, it's it's uh you don't need to, to to dip into any any kind of damage or miscarriage mechanics i think that'd be a mistake uh do see if they want to do something maybe more supernatural magical because there's some really cool things there and you can probably think of some stories you've watched that had some interesting mechanics around that. I know I can think of a bunch of them. There've been a bunch of supernatural and adventure TV shows that have pregnant characters. So there's a lot to play with there. All right. So that's it for me guys. All right. Good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. And, uh, you know, thank you for bringing very reasonable characters to all my games. <laughs> I just have this guy and he does stuff with his wand. Like, that's it. That's all I want to do. I, I have a hippo. I want him to be Teddy Roosevelt. Uh, that's really all I'm asking. We have the character who lost their child play, playing in a game with a pyromaniac goblin and the hippo version of Teddy Roosevelt. Yes. I, and then also a uh, kung fu actor from the mid seventies. A Shaw Brothers kung yeah. fu actor. And then for, I, I'm not sure still Luke's character, his moose, the cleric. I'm still trying to kind of see if that's if that's an archetype for something or not. I it's the first it D and deep game I played with him, so I don't know. I was hoping it'd be Sam from Supernatural, but apparently like that doesn't seem to be the direction he's going. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, Sam Sam's moose. <laughs> oh okay okay the, the the demon crowley always calls him moose where's moose because he's the uh, kind of the, the the taller and to crowley's mind stupider one although he's also the smarter one so a little little confusing <laughs> all right guys thank you very much for joining me on this and thank you all for listening from home really appreciate the support 
This again, this question comes from a listener. This question comes from Joel. He sent it in. We were able to work it into an episode. And if you have any quandaries like this you'd like to hear us talk about, we would love to hear about them. So please, if you want to hear us talk about your issues on a future episode of Three Wise DMs, you can send us an email at threewisedms at gmail.com. Go to our website, threewisedms.com, put it in the What's Your Problem field, or talk to us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We're active in all those channels. We're always on the lookout for ways we for 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 questions we can help DMs work out. You know, we're we're the podcast for DMs with problems. And we're gonna do our best to walk you through the problem. We may not be able to solve it. We recognize we can't solve everything, but we will try to at least talk about the different facets of it and try to try to dig up some good stuff you can work with. Now, if you like what you're hearing, please give us a five-star rating on your podcast platform. We really appreciate that. Helps us get the word out. And, and, you know, tell your friends. Share it on social media. We appreciate all the support you've given us in helping us grow. Thank you very much for that. And that's it for this week. We'll see you next time on Three Wise DMs.